Good morning. How are you all doing today? Looks like we've got a few out sick today. A few more. Good time of year to get sick. But we're glad you're here to worship God with us. Uh, what must I know to be saved? This is a question that's uh, asked by some people. Uh, it's usually the first thing I would suppose a person would ask if they were ever thinking about becoming a New Testament Christian. What must I know to be saved? In the New Testament, that question is raised several times. People want to know what they need to do in order to be saved. For example, on the day of Pentecost, when the Jews believed the preaching of the apostles, <clears throat> that they were guilty of killing, murdering the Son of God, they asked the question, men and brethren, what shall we do to right our wrong, to be right with God, to be saved? In Acts chapter 22 and verse 10, Saul of Tarsus was on a Damascus highway going to imprison Christians found in Damascus. When he encountered the Lord, he said, what shall I do, Lord? What do you want me to do? And then again, the Philippian jailer, when he came to the point where he believed in the God that Paul and Silas sung hymns about, he asked them, sirs, what must I do to be saved? It's a natural question a person would raise if they became curious about what they would have to do if they wanted to become a New Testament Christian. And we have answers. In all these passages, for example, we have answers that are given to us. We are to look at what they were told to do in order to be saved. We are to add the totality of the information that we find in these three passages, as well as any other ones that might be relevant. And then we are to take the sum of what God has said about the matter. And that's what we're supposed to do to be saved. That sounds like a lot of work. Well, it is. <laughs> it takes a lot of time to study these things and understand these things, at least for ourselves. The sum of God's word is truth. What must I do to be saved? I need to find out what the New Testament teaches in general on this particular theme. Many people believe it doesn't matter how little one knows or understands, or whether he is precisely obedient. Many today who profess to be followers of Christ freely admit that they're not doing everything that the Lord would have them to do, but they are doing most of it. And because they're doing most of it, they feel pretty good about their salvation. Because the general consensus is it really doesn't matter what you do. What really matters is what's in your heart. A good conscience is enough. That's wrong. I know that's what a lot of folks think, but it is wrong in the final analysis. Paul stood before the Jewish council and said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. I haven't violated my conscience, he said, during my lifetime. I've tried to serve the Lord to the best of my ability in everything I ever said and did, Lord. He knew that was the case, and he was honest when he made this declaration because the Spirit is the one that led him to speak. And then in 1 Timothy 1.15, 
He said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of who I am chief. The principal sinner in the world, in Paul's own estimation, had a clear conscience, but he was very, very wrong. He had been persecuting, imprisoning, and even consenting to the death of people just because they believed that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. He met Jesus one day, and he changed his mind, and he said, what must I do to be saved? Paul had a clear conscience, but it wasn't enough. Paul had a clear conscience, but if he didn't change, he was going to lose his soul. He was trying to the best of his ability to make God happy, but he was doing it the wrong way. So the Lord showed him the right way. Salvation from the beginning. Let's think about it just a moment. The Christian religion is grounded in history. This isn't supposed to be there. I was supposed to erase it and I forgot it. Let's try this one. The Christian religion is grounded in history. Most religions, when you, if you ever read them, uh, they're based in philosophy or ideology. Uh, most religions are not built on historical data. Most religions are unverifiable because it's just the, the thinkings, the ideas, and the opinions of men. The Christian religion, on the other hand, is very different because it is rooted in history. Therefore, it must be verifiable. It has to and shall be proven to be true. Did Jesus live on this earth? Was he born of a virgin? Did he rise from the grave? Man, these are hard things to believe. Was Jesus really born of a virgin? Really? Did he really come forth from the grave on the third day? I've never seen anybody come forth from the grave. And I have to believe this in order to be saved. How am I going to believe it? How do you make the great leap between what the Bible says, the historical data, and what we believe? Before I became a Christian, I didn't believe a virgin could give a birth to a child. And I didn't believe there's going to be a resurrection from the dead. Why? People don't come back from the dead. When people die, they're dead. And I thought it was foolishness. How do we make this great leap from what the Bible says about our Lord and what we have to believe? There's a chasm there. How do we fill it up? How do we come to believe? That's the hard part in a Christian religion is learning how to believe. I can say I believe. I can say I believe in anything I want to. I can say I believe in God. And that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. But the real question is what my salvation hangs on. Do I really believe it? Because the Lord knows the difference. He knows the difference between wishful thinking and conviction. How do I become a believer? We have to be taught 
about Jesus, and we have to be taught about what we must do to be saved. The Lord said in John 6, 45, it is written in the prophets, Isaiah chapter 54, 13 is who he quotes. They shall all be taught by God. Think about that statement. All shall be taught by God. Now, you're being taught by John, a far cry from God. But I'm quoting God. what, What is written here is what Jesus actually said. So I'm quoting to you what God said. Now the scripture says they shall all be taught by God. This is important because before you and I can believe, we've got to know what God has revealed to us. And if we don't know what God has revealed to us, we can't believe. We wish, we hope, we'd like, but we can't believe. Not in the sense that the Bible talks about a belief that actually saves. We have to be taught by God. We've got to tune in to God. We've got to listen to what God said. And I'm a mouth for God. That's all I am. I'm a mouth for God. From heaven to the printed page and out my mouth. Being taught by God. Therefore, he went on, Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. That's the natural conclusion. If everybody has to be taught by God, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father is in a position to come to Jesus. I have heard, I have learned what the Father has said about his Son. I believed what he said. I investigated it. I found out that it was true what he said about his Son. And therefore, I chose to become a Christian, and I did. That's how we become a saved person. We must believe. If we don't believe, we'll never make it. It's too tough. It's too hard. There's too many temptations along the way. Too many times we want to throw our hands up in the air and quit. Too many times we feel like the Satan has beat us down to a nubbin. And we just don't want to go any farther. If there isn't faith, there will never be endurance. If there isn't conviction, we'll never last. We'll quit. And we'll pick up our marbles and go to the house. We have to be taught. It's those who were taught by God are the ones who are qualified to come to Jesus and to walk with him. It's very important. What must I do to be saved? I must believe. Having been taught by God, I can believe. The Great Commission teaches as much as well. Jesus came, spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. There's three things I want you to notice in this particular passage because it's relevant to what we're talking about right now. First of all, the Lord told his disciples to make disciples. That's the command that the Lord gave. That's the commission that the Lord gave. Make disciples. How do you make disciples? How? By teaching them 
what God has said. So this word make disciples could be discipling. It means teaching and making converts. Make disciples. How do you make a disciple? The same way you were made a disciple. You were taught by God. You believed what God has revealed to you and you became a believer. Go, therefore, and do the same. And in the process, make disciples. This is our commission. This is what the Lord would have us to do. And then he goes on. He says, you baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. You baptize them and in the process, you change their relationship to God. The Father and the Holy Spirit. Their relationship to deity has now become one. They were separated from God. And after they believed and were baptized, they became one with God. It's at this juncture they become Christians. Do you follow me so far? Make disciples by teaching them what they are to do and then baptizing them and change their relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's what occurs. At this point, you have made a Christian. But that's not the end of the commission. The commission goes on. There's one more step we have to acknowledge. This is step one. Make disciples baptizing them in water, thus changing their relationship with deity. Step number two, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. We talked about this just a tad in our Bible class this morning. There are two steps in our efforts to convert people and help them get to heaven. Step one is to convert them. Teach them what they need to know in order to become children of God. Step two, you spend the rest of your life trying to teach them what it is the Lord wants them to do and how they can go about doing it. Both steps are involved. Both steps are very necessary. And this is all implied in the Great Commission. <clears throat> Pre-conversion teaching. Uh, I'm going to do my little chart thing now. My funny little charts. There's pre-conversion teaching. It's different than post-conversion teaching. Pre-conversion teaching, you're trying to get a person to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that they should repent if they can believe him and become a part of his body. That's what pre-conversion teaching does. When we have baptized them in water, they are, at that juncture, they are a Christian. It happens each time. And then there's post-conversion teaching. At that moment, we have to teach them what they must do to be saved. In Acts 16, 30 through 33, <clears throat> the, the man said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Paul and Silas responded, You must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's imperative. You must believe, first of all. How could he believe on the Lord Jesus? He didn't know who the Lord Jesus was. This man was, was probably a heathen. He didn't know who Jesus was. He did, probably didn't know anything about the Jews. He may not have even heard about this Nazarene being crucified in Jerusalem. 
they didn't have the communi communication abilities we do today. But now they're told that they must believe in the Lord Jesus. Well, they spoke the word of the Lord to them. They must be taught by God. It's always going to be there. You need to believe on the Lord Jesus if you want to be a part of the Lord Jesus' body. Well, how shall I believe? You must be taught by God. God must teach you who Jesus is and why you should obey him. That's step one. He took them the same hour of the night. He washed their stripes, and immediately he and all his family were baptized. In one night, when this man made it known he wanted to be saved, they taught him what he needed to know in order to be saved, and then they baptized him because he wanted to be baptized into Christ. One night. Now, you know how large the New Testament is. You know how hard the New Testament is to learn. It takes a lot of time. I've spent a lot of years trying to understand the New Testament scriptures. Paul made a disciple out of this man in one night. He allowed the Lord to do the teaching. And the teaching was successful. Look how fast. Look how little time it took to make a disciple. What did this man know about being a Christian? I would guess not much at all. They didn't have time to teach him. They were going to take this heathen and convert him into a believer that Jesus Christ is God's son. He was born of a virgin. He was raised on the third day. I would think that one night, if you could do that, you'd be doing really, really good. Well, that's what Paul did and Silas. But here's the thing. I don't see how they could have had much time to have taught him anything else. I've got a feeling they probably didn't talk about worship. I'd say they probably didn't talk about mechanical music in worship. The Lord's Supper. They probably didn't go into much detail of how he was supposed to live as a Christian. There, there wasn't enough time. But that night, that man was born again, and he became a child of God. Why? Because they taught him exactly what he needed to know at that point in his life. How to believe that Jesus Christ is indeed the Son of God. Pre-conversion knowledge. It's requirements to become a Christian. I want to be saved. What must I do? You must believe and you must repent of sins. We know that. Mark 16, 16, Acts 2, 38. Baptism places one in Christ. When a person is baptized, they are placed in Christ by the Lord himself. Acts 2, 47. And the Lord added to his church daily those who were being saved. When a person is baptized into Christ for the right reasons, that person is placed by the Lord himself into the church that Jesus purchased with his own blood. That's what we must do to be saved. Implied in this, first of all, infants do not need to be baptized. Why? They can't believe. 
and they've got no reason to repent. So why would they be baptized? Baptism is for sinners to have sins removed. But if a child is so sinless that they neither believe nor need to repent, why would this individual need to be baptized? There's no reason for it at all. I believe God. That's why we don't baptize infants. I believe what God said about the matter. And we don't baptize infants for that very reason. Number two, certain convictions must precede baptism. And that's what's important. Certain convictions must precede baptism. And if they don't, and we know it, we are not at liberty to baptize them. It happened once in my life, I think. But I think it was only once. <clears throat> Pre-baptism convictions, what would they consist of? Jesus is indeed the Christ, the Son of God. That's a mouthful right there. Moses spoke about Messiah who would come into the world, and when he did, everyone must listen to the Messiah. You no longer listen to me. My law is put away, it's done with, and the Messiah will come with a law of his own. He is the lawmaker. So when he comes into the world, you listen to what he said, and you do what he said. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus is God. He was God in flesh. And a person needs to be convicted of that. How? You have to be taught by God. There is no other way. In John 20, verses 30 31, the apostle wrote, Truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, that is, the book of John. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Now, notice what John is saying. He said, there's enough information in my account of Christ's life. We call it the Gospel of John. There's a, enough information in this book to enable a person to become a Christian. Well, what does John have to say about music and worship? Nothing. What does he have to say about the Lord's Supper? Well, nothing really. The only thing John majors on is what it takes to become a Christian. So according to John, a person can't become a Christian without knowing all these other things. A person who doesn't know the purpose of worship can become a Christian if they believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. They don't understand mechanical music. They think it's okay to use a piano in worship. Well, according to what we read so far, this person can become a Christian, even though they don't believe the way we believe, at least not yet. What are they supposed to believe? That Jesus Christ is the Son of God. They're supposed to be willing to confess their sins. They are to confess their sins before people, confess the Christ before others, and be Buried in baptism. I didn't used to understand that. It took a long time before I did, actually. 
But that's what we're being taught. That's what we're being taught. And that believing you may have life in his name. Those who study the Gospel of John alone have enough information to become a New Testament Christian and have the hope of eternal life. Even though John doesn't go into details or specifics about all the other matters. Because at that juncture, that's what they need to know. They did and they obeyed the Lord. Confession, Romans 10 and 10, where the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Confession implies, necessarily implies, that we believe in the virgin birth of the Son of God. We believe that he was raised from the dead on day three, according to Romans 1 verse 4. These things that we are to do to become saved, they're all important. But they're all the result of our having been taught by God. Because God has taught us about these things. Not John. John can't teach you anything. But God can. God can teach you about these matters. And if you study it, you analyze it, you investigate it, you will come to the point where you too can believe. Pre-conversion teaching in faith. And this is the point I want to make right now. Pre-conversion teaching in faith is generally a foundational message that a person hears. They've heard the ABCs of New Testament Christianity. They've heard about the, the, the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of the Son of God. And that's pretty much what they know. If you study the book of John, you're going to find out that that's the gist of John's message, that Jesus Christ was, in fact, God in flesh. And if you study... John's gospel, you can become a New Testament Christian and have the hope of eternal salvation. Very fundamental, very foundational. But it's enough. For God, it's enough. It may not be enough for people, but it is for God. A foundational message is going to produce a foundational faith. Paul wrote in Romans 10 and verse 17 that faith comes by our hearing the word of God. Because I hear the word of God, I have faith. Well, this message is foundational, it's very fundamental. So what was heard wasn't a great deal. Nevertheless, it was enough to produce faith in the individual. A person who comes to the Lord and wants to be baptized into Christ has a limited amount of knowledge. And that's the important part. There are people that we baptize who don't have a lot of knowledge about the things of the Spirit of God. They knew what they needed to do to become a Christian, but having become a Christian, they don't know where to go from there. And they need answers to their coming questions. When they have been baptized, they become babes in Christ, 1 Peter 2 and 2. At that juncture, there has to be post-conversion teaching. Why we don't use mechanical music in our worship. Why we eat the Lord's Supper. These things have to be taught by people like me. So that those babes in Christ... Those who became Christians 
can know why we do the things we do, what the Lord would have us to do. We continue speaking. We continue allowing God to speak through us. Peter said, grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's speaking to the, those, those immature Christians. Well, you need to grow in both grace and in knowledge. As you grow in knowledge, you're going to grow in faith. In Hebrews 6 and 1, the Hebrews author said, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, the ABCs of New Testament Christianity, leaving those principles that we've mastered, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ, now that we've got those securely under our belt, let us stop talking about that for a moment and let us go forward on to perfection, to grow in knowledge and in faith, basically it's what the Apostle Paul said. When you look at a person becoming a Christian, it actually occurs in two steps. First of all, we make a disciple. Secondly, we help that disciple to continue their growth in faith. Now, if we are mature Christians, we will be gentle with those who become Christian. We'll have empathy for their inability to understand the things we've been fortunate enough to learn. We'll be kind. We'll be tender. Just like we were dealing with a baby our hope will be very simple to help them leave the milk of the gospel and to go on to the meat of the gospel. And that takes time, sometimes a lot of time. We've had people in this congregation who, who did not accept the notion of not having mechanical music and worship. They just couldn't understand it. And they came and they came and they came, even though they disagreed with us, even though they were Christians and members of this congregation, they came and they came until ultimately they saw what we were talking about. Because sometimes it's hard. When you've got a preconceived notion, when you have an idea, if you've grown up under a certain philosophy, you can't necessarily see the truth very easily. It can be very hard. But we're mature Christians, and we understand all this stuff. And that's why we're gentle with other people and loving, wanting nothing more than their salvation. Jesus taught as much in the vine and the branches, John 15, 1 through 8. As crude as we are, we must stay attached to the vine lest we wither and die. Life in a diverse world makes becoming a Christian very hard. As I said, a, a babe in Christ has a very limited amount, amount of knowledge in most cases. There is limited knowledge. Now, all their life, they've been subjected to everything we know about. They've heard preachers on the radio. They've seen preachers on TV. They work with religious people who tells them this, that, and the other thing. 
they've known very, very kind, very, very good, very, very gentle people in their life. And they were taught things by them that differs from what we believe. So all their life, all this data has been going into their mind and their heart. And now here they are, they're 24 years old. They want to become a New Testament Christian. We tell them what it takes to become one. They agree. They want to become a disciple of Christ. We baptize them in the water. Guess what? All that information that they had in their heart, it comes into the church with them. You can't leave it at the door. It's going to come into the church with them. They're still going to believe what they believed about a great many issues. And that's where it's up to us to very kindly, to very gently teach them what the will of God is in such matters. Don't be crude. Don't be cruel. You've got to be kind. You've got to remember what it's like to be ignorant. I was ignorant this morning, so I haven't forgotten. I'm, uh, I'm pretty skilled at being ignorant, actually. There are many things that they don't understand. They don't understand why and how we pray. They don't understand they, that they don't have to have me to pray for them. They can if they want to, but they don't have to. I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not uh, elevated above you all. Your prayer reaches heaven the same as my prayer reaches heaven. If you want me to pray with you, I'm happy to pray with you. But you don't need me to pray with you as though God wouldn't listen to you because he will. But they think you have to confess your faults to the priest so that the priest can absolve you of your sins. They've been taught that all their life. That's what they believe. They're a New Testament Christian now and they want to get into a confessional and tell me their sins. That may be a good thing to do but it's not a necessary thing to do because they can pray for themselves. How about the Lord's Supper? In the Catholic Church, they take the wafer and we use the, the bread, the unleavened bread and the fruit of the vine. And unlike most any other church, we do it on the first day of each week. And a person might say, why do you folks do that that way? I don't understand. I went to a church and did it every quarter or semi-annually or annually. How come you all do it every week? Well, you sit down and you explain to them. You allow the Lord to teach them what it is he wants them to do. How about singing? That's one that usually gets people the most. I don't see any harm in mechanical music. There isn't any harm in mechanical music. I played drums for a long time. I used to make my living playing drums, actually. I got nothing against drums, nothing wrong with drums. The only thing is, I'm supposed to be taught by God, and God didn't teach me to play drums. He didn't tell me that. He told me to sing. But he didn't tell me to play a drum. He didn't tell me to play a, a piano. He didn't tell me to play anything else. A preacher asked me one time, do you have to be told everything you're going to do? And the answer to that question is yes. In Colossians 3 and verse 17, whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all by the authority of Jesus because he told you to do it. 
in our worship, you're going to see that everything we do is what the Lord has told us to do. We've been taught by Jesus, and we understand these things. You got a problem in the church. Some people have their beliefs that came into the church with them, and it doesn't jive with what they are being taught now, and they don't understand why. I understand that, don't you? I understand why it's hard to understand. I was one of them at one time. There were so many things I didn't understand. I had always been exposed to a different way of doing things. And when I became a New Testament Christian, I didn't know it from down. I thought Jesus was born on December 25th. I didn't know any better. That's what I was told, and that's what I believed. And then I started listening to the Father. And he taught me that that's not the case, John. He taught me what the truth of the matter was. And you know what happened? I don't observe Christmas as the birth of my Lord any longer. You have to be taught. Everybody has to be taught. Teaching is so important. That's why the Hebrews author said in Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, let us consider one another to stir one another up unto love and to good works. Not by forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, coming together as we've done right now. No, no, no. Don't forsake those assemblies. But as is the manner of some people, but you, the faithful, you exhort one another, lift them up, encourage them, instruct them, help them. We're all making our way through the world. We all need help. We all need a hand. There's none of us so great and almighty that we don't need the assistance of another person. Exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Be kind to one another. Be kind to all people. Try to be understanding. Try to be gentle. And remember what it was like to be ignorant about something. And just be nice. If you're not a Christian, you are to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Repent of your sins. Confess him before others. Be immersed in water for forgiveness of your sins. Become a New Testament Christian right today. I don't know enough. I disproved to you, you do. You do. But you must act on it.